0: This is podcast number 16 in which we are working rather diligently to penetrate the mind of Paul in his letter to the Galatians. There is a second pattern of chiasm which is the promise of the Spirit. So let us begin by looking for another pattern in the continuing rhythmic repetition of words. In Galatians 3:19 to 24, we have seed which is only mentioned once, and that actually is a transition between the two chiastic patterns. Then we have promised, mentioned three times, law, mentioned seven times, and then in the middle is the word life, and life is only mentioned once, and that really catches our attention because it's only mentioned once, and then following the chiastic center of life comes mediator, mentioned twice, and then the last is righteousness, which is only mentioned once. And again, that catches our attention because it's only mentioned once. And life is somehow connected with righteousness. Now, there are several striking elements in the repetition. Seed appears only in the first verse, 19, which links the previous chiastic passage to this new pattern. So it acts as a transition. Then we note the strange appearance of life, which only occurs once in the middle of the repetitions, which makes it the chiastic center. There are two verses before the middle verse on life about the delivery of the law by a mediator, and there are two verses after the middle verse on life about the purpose of the law as a protector. That makes life verse the central focus of the pattern. Then the last verse, 24, is a concluding statement that connects life with righteousness. In contrast to law, which cannot produce righteousness, it can only instruct. Thus, we have another chiastic instruction, although its pattern is somewhat unusual and therefore artistic. There are two A-lines that come first. And they are in parallel by the theme delivery of the law. Then comes the chiastic center about life. Now, the first two lines, I'm going to label the A lines. This middle chiastic center, I'll label a B line. And then after that comes two more parallel lines that will be C lines. These C lines are parallel by the theme delivery of the law. No, I'm sorry. The first two are delivery of the law, and then after the chiastic center, the second two are the purpose of the law. So we have to remember that line B is the chiastic center. Okay, I'm going to read these to you now. We have in Galatians 3.19, we start with the first A line. Then why the law? It was added because of transgressions having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator. Now, mediator is the word that's going to connect the two A lines. The agency of a mediator until the seed should come to whom the promise had been made. And then in the second A line, we have, now a mediator is not for one, whereas God is one. All right, then we have the chiastic center B line. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. So we have a relationship here between life and righteousness. Okay, now comes the two sea lines. The Scripture has shut up all men under sin, that the promise by faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. Now the common phrase here is "shut up," and we're going to see that in the uh, the second sea line. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. And finally, we come to the conclusion of this second chiastic pattern. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to Christ that we may be made righteous by faith. That's in um, Galatians 3.24. So the law is instruction, but uh, we're going to see something different now than just plain instruction. We will turn again to the connecting word seed that appears only in the first verse 19. Seed stands for the birth of something new. So the coming of Yeshua represents the beginning of something new that God has created. We sense that this new creation, which has been birthed from the seed of Christ, must be associated with the promise that God has made. But our first reaction is likely startled confusion. Paul has been talking about God's promise to Abraham that God will somehow bless the Gentiles through Abraham. And Paul has concluded from Scripture that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. But now, Paul talks about the seed singular to whom the promise has been made. There seems to be a second promise. Suddenly, we remember Paul's second conclusion from Scripture so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The first promise, then, is Paul's first conclusion from Scripture that God has promised the Gentiles through their faith in Christ. The second promise is about the Holy Spirit. We recall that Paul has demonstrated how much more certain is God's covenant than a man-made covenant. Now we see an extension of this concept of superiority. God gave the law to the children of Israel indirectly through a mediator, God's angels. How much more, then, is a direct promise from the one God, which is the promise of the Spirit? We now know that God has fulfilled a second promise, to bestow His Holy Spirit on His people. So at this point in Paul's linguistic artistry, we must stop and examine the promise of the Spirit that is in the Hebrew Scriptures, The Spirit of God is associated with life, as we first learn in the creation account. The Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. God can also bring to life something that appears to be dead and lifeless, as we see with Abraham, who agonized with God, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And God promised, One who shall come forth from your body, he shall be your heir. Yet Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age, and Sarah was past childbearing. But God reassured Abraham, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Thus God, whose essence is spirit, can create life even when something appears to be dead and lifeless. We can see in the Hebrew scriptures that God's spirit was upon the leaders of Israel, not in them, but upon them. This was true of Moses and the 70 elders that we see in Numbers eleven seventeen. The Spirit was also upon Joshua and David and the judges of Israel. Moses yearned for God to place his Spirit also upon all the children of Israel. In Numbers 11.29, we read, My desire is that all the Lord's people would be prophets, that the Lord would put His Spirit on them. We are then blessed to learn from a prophecy in the Torah that God will honor Moses' request. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul in order that you may live, and you shall again obey the Lord and observe all his commandments which I command you today. That's Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 6 and 8. Life then, which God imparts through his living spirit, will come about when God circumcises the hearts of his people. The result will be obedience to the law, which produces a condition of righteousness. This is God's promise of the Spirit. The prophet Joel then comments by expansion and elaboration on God's promise of the Spirit. And he connects the indwelling Spirit in one's heart with the visible sign of speaking words of prophecy. Listen to Joel. And it will come about after this that I will pour out my Spirit on all mankind, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. That's in Joel chapter 2, verse 28. Peter cites these words of Joel on the day of Pentecost to signify the fulfillment of God's promise of the Spirit. In fact, Yeshua identifies this promise of the Spirit with his own life and ministry. In Luke 4.18, citing Isaiah 61, verse 1, Yeshua claims, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me. Thus, Paul has used the startling chiastic insertion of seed as singular seed in order to associate the fulfillment of the promise of the Spirit with Yeshua the Messiah as Scripture has prophesied. Yeshua is metaphorically the singular seed. Yet the promise of the Spirit is also to the descendants' seed, plural. Paul will turn to that aspect of the promise to the descendants in his discussion of the sons of God. And this is where I'm going to end this podcast. And in the next podcast, it is really exciting because we're going to see where Paul talks about this incredible concept of being sons of God. So I will see you, or be with you anyway, in the next podcast.